Welcome to the USCCB First Freedom Podcast. I'm Aaron Weldon, and I am joined today by my friend and colleague, Todd Scribner, who's filling in. He's kindly stepping in for uh, my co-host, Mary McCluskey. So, Todd, thanks for taking a little time out of the day to, to join me. Hey, thanks for having me, Aaron. It's always a pleasure. And then we're also checking in with our colleagues who focus on international religious freedom issues. Um, so joining us today is Lucas Coach. Lucas is the director of the USCCB's Office of International Justice and Peace. Lucas, thank you for coming to talk with us today. You're welcome, Aaron. It's always a pleasure. Todd, good to be with you as well. Yeah, so let's just jump right in to, to some of the, the issues that y'all are tracking, kind of areas of concern for you um, here as we're heading into this new year. Um, probably here at the top of the list of things to talk about is this upcoming International Religious Freedom Summit. It's something that you've been working on. Just tell us what's that? What is that about? Kind of how's the USCCB involved in that? No, that, that's that's a great question, Aaron, and I'm glad to have this uh, opportunity. So, I mean, as as you know, and probably a lot of your listeners know, in general terms, the issue of international religious freedom is a a key priority for uh, the the committee of, of bishops, uh, the committee on international justice and peace, and so it's good to have these types of forums to kind of delve a little further into uh, how we're trying to advance that issue and so on. And so to your t uh, topic of the International Religious uh, Freedom Summit, that's occurring uh, here once again in, in Washington, um, uh, January uh, 31st through the 1st. It's just a two-day summit. And it's really um, the, the first of its kind, really, uh, to be a, a civil society forum for individuals, organizations, uh, academics, anyone really who is uh, working on, interested in the issue of international uh, religious freedom. It was kind of born out of the State Department's International Religious Freedom Ministerial that was held at that formal uh, high level in, in 2018. There were successive ones uh, uh, since that time. The thought was, you know, this really needs to be uh, branched out into more of a, a movement and, and really allow again, civil society groups who are working on this issue to, to be a part. So it's an opportunity uh, to do so. I can go in a little more detail if you like about kind of the Oh, yeah, please so do. Yeah, what kind of – I mean, I remember you um, circulating information about this last year among co mm -hmm. colleagues at the conference. Yeah. Yeah, what's involved, what – yeah. you know, who, so, I mean, how, what's participation like? Sure. So, I mean, our, our uh, the, the slogan of, of it, and again, it's IRF Summit, I-R-F Summit dot org. And uh, there's still even time. I'll make a little plug if folks uh, want to uh, participate. To it is in person. We find you know doing stuff virtually only has a very limited utility. And this summit has a very relational kind of element. We want people to get to know each other, talk to each other, um, whether they are. Um, groups that are advocating for uh, international religious freedom policy, or the academics, or a lot of advocacy groups who are working on a very specific people group or uh, situational kind of conflict uh, around the globe, and allow uh, again, granted, people are going to have different perspectives, but that's that's acknowledged, and and we're, we don't we're not afraid of that. Um, it is a bipartisan uh, event. It is uh, chaired by. Um, the uh, former ambassador of international religious freedom, Sam uh, Brownback, and his uh, co-host is Katrina Lantos-Sweat. She uh, ran for Congress a few times her, herself uh, and is, um, and is cha continuing to champion her late father, uh, Tom Lantos's uh, legacy on, on this issue. 
So we're very proud of that and, and the, the, the people they've um, been able to garner from uh, Congress, administration, and uh, internationally uh, policy leaders, advocates to, to uh, you know, help showcase this, uh, this event. The Earth Summit itself uh, was first started in 2021, and this is kind of the third time, uh, third go at it. Um, had been the summer, moving uh, towards uh, a little earlier this year, but it has grown. It has uh, gained traction. And so the uh, International Justice and Peace Office, uh, along with our committee, have been very happy to try to champion and support uh, this effort. Uh, we're sponsoring um organization with I think about 40 plus some other organizations mm. we're expecting um, I think four or five hundred people uh, uh, to to participate I, I'm grateful to see this kind of forum you know given the reality right that over 80 percent of those in in the world um, are facing high levels of governmental or societal restrictions on on religion or you know freedom of uh, uh, religion in their respective regions or, or, or countries. And so it's, it's never been a more important issue, and I'm grateful for this kind of forum to be able to help build that out. Lucas, that sounds like a, it's a fascinating event, and I, I wish you well when you go. Um, you know, sort of as going as a representative of the U.S. Catholic Church, the conference, I'm kind of curious if you could expand a little bit on what are some of the foundational principles that you bring to this in your conversations? What are you trying to achieve sort of as right. a representative of the bishops? Yeah, that's that's a really good uh, question, Todd, because, you know, we're not the, you know, organization focusing on just this country or that country or this situation. We're, you know, we're trying to uh, modestly and humbly kind of be aware of all these things going on around uh, the globe and trying to filter them through our U.S. Uh, ecclesial and, and political lens, right, to raise awareness, et cetera. And so, yeah, we can talk about situational things, but unlike other uh, organizations who are, you know, we're here, we're going to be talking about, you know, they're going to be focusing on, on Nigeria, or they're going to be talking about China, or whatever. And again, we will engage in those conversations as well. But I think the, the, the main interest um, of, of the committee at, at this juncture really is that just the, the notion of what religious, international religious freedom is, um, this, this, this right that is uh, ensconced, right, in the Universal Declaration of Human Rights that is ensconced certainly in our own ecclesial background with uh, Dignitatis Humanae, that issue gets framed well. And so, uh, for example, if you go to the Earth Summit website, there's a charter that um, several of us um, kind of worked on uh, in the early days of, of this saying, you know, hey, we don't want to just kind of have a, a confab. I mean, you know, in a sense, I mean, it, it is that. But we want to have a framing of saying, well, you know, uh, how do we define this? That uh, because we're living in a time where, you know, discussion of religious rights, human rights, has, has sometimes becomes a very rather expansive and unwieldy conversation. Some of that I think is, is, is helpful and fine, and other, other times not. And so um, I think the, the conveners uh, uh, that got the Earth Summit going have developed a, a, a very thoughtful charter, and it's called the International Religious Freedom Summit uh, charter, you know, again, kind of uh, religious freedom for everyone, everywhere, all the time. And that was established in 2021. And so I think um, that's kind of our interest. Um, so like there's going to be a panel kind of discussing 
what is religious freedom? You know, kind of getting back to, to basics and uh, how do we frame that uh, right and, and well and, um, you know, and, and have those debates where needed. I would think also, you know, one of the things you bring that's unique is that you are a part, you're representing a church that's a worldwide, like it's a global, it's, I hesitate to use the term organization because it's obviously more than an organization, but it's, but it's not less than an organization, if that makes sense. I mean, so you, you're, you are connected with persecuted people yeah. of faith all across the world, not just like in one area or um, obviously it's people of one faith, but you're connected with all these people in a concrete kind of way. So I would right. think that sort of also is a dimension that is more than, than um, or is different than, say, like an advocacy group that's primarily just based in the United States. Right. One of the things I wanted to ask about is to, you know, get some updates on some of these, speaking of different areas of the world where there are religious freedom issues. So last year, we talked with your colleague, uh, Jenny Ferris. Um, mm -hmm. She's come on a couple of times. Uh, at our last year, it was about this time of year, we talked mostly about China. China's obviously been, mm -hmm. like, kind of looms large mm -hmm. in this conversation. Uh, and then we talked a little bit about Ukraine, mostly because the Russian invasion had, had you know, just begun. And so we were asking her, are there any religious liberty implications um, with respect to, to the war there? So first, I just want to start off with updates from what we talked about in last year's podcast. Um, any updates on what's going on in, in – why don't we start with China? Uh, we could probably spend the whole time on China, but maybe if you can just kind of give us a, you know, a brief update on China and then also Ukraine. Like have there been yeah. any religious liberty issues that have emerged from the conflict there? So let's start with China. Sure. Yeah. Well, before going into to, to China and, and Ukraine, um, I want to capture what you're you were saying there earlier. Uh, the, the the nature of being connected to uh, the the church, the body of Christ around around the world. Uh, a, a big function that we serve is building relationships with local bishops within a local bishops conference of these you know, respective countries and areas. And I know how uh, thinly resourced I can feel on any given day. You know, imagine being a church in, in Iraq or something where, you know, you, the, the church is very, very small uh, and you're compounded by, you know, working in an environment that has seen conflict, you know, and persecution, uh, et cetera. And so, you know, advocating for this right uh, goes part and parcel with um, dealing with conflict, right? Which um, is you know a very complex set of, of questions in any given um, theater. And so, we're constantly trying to modulate those two uh, beyond merely right just saying international religious freedom is a problem you know in country X. You know, here's the statistics, et cetera. But try, uh, we we do that, and we'll, we'll we'll focus on that. But we're always trying to do so in the context of, the, you know, the wider kind of political context by which we have to navigate. Mm -hmm. With regard to you know China, again, we we've only watched uh, you know the escalations grow. Certainly um, um, bilaterally between the U.S. and and China and the West and and, and China. Um, the, and then the explosion of the war in Ukraine last February uh, hasn't hasn't helped uh, matter. Um, you know, on one hand, you know the, the church is composed in a manner that 
the, the church engages with any regime as it's constituted. You know, the, the church doesn't have a, uh, a rule for, by which, you know, what kind of regime they will, will deal with. And so that, that is something very unique about, about the Holy See. They, see, you know, they seek to have relations with, with everybody. I think that's very well and good. And so on one hand, we, we see, you know, it's, 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 it's everywhere now and increasingly so, uh, transgressions against um, the, the Uyghurs in Xinjiang to, you know, um, persecutions uh, in um, the underground church, uh, growing, um, you know, restrictions on uh, uh, expression of uh, freedom and, and uh, speech in, in Hong Kong, and the arrest of uh, uh, Cardinal Zen himself was really uh, disturbing. And you know, Bishop Malloy did a, a statement of you know, solidarity with and for um, uh, Cardinal Zen. You know, he's joined uh, with uh, Cardinal Bo, who is the um, Asian Bishops Conference uh, chairman, who's kind of over. You know, it's it's a uh, an association of all the Asian Bishops Conference. Uh, you know, calling for prayers for those in China. As we're also walking in, 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 in the fine line, recognizing, you know, the, the Holy See still seeks and desires to have relations with, uh, with China um, and, and certainly to be able to uh, maintain, you know, guardianship over, you know, appointments of bishops and so on. Now, granted, we don't have the details of, of the Sino-Vatican agreement. We only know, to, you know, very, very general contours uh, uh, of it, you know, so th- there's there's the balance, right, between, you know, raising concern and alarm of, of what's happening. We've wa- we watched in the press, right, about real threats to, to Taiwan, you know, that's of, of concern, um, you know, and then on the other hand, uh, wanting to still have a, a line and a thread of, of communication, engagement for the sake of the faithful that are trying to um, walk and live faithfully uh, to the precepts of the church and in accordance with the gospel in, in China. Uh, with regard to uh, uh, Ukraine, uh, you know, again, we've only watched it go from, from bad to worse, sadly. You know, again, it's, there's a long history here, but, you know, the, the real hot war started last, last February. Um, and, yeah, international, the religious freedom element is a very significant part of the, the history there, of, uh, you know, oppression of the um, communist, uh, uh, Russian communist regime. As since just um, uh, uh, as of July of last year, over 270 uh, religious buildings, sacred spaces, have been destroyed or, or uh, certainly very damaged and in places that we've been reading about, like Bucha, like Bucha, like uh, Irpin, Mariupol, uh, Kharkiv, and that's that's yeah, concerning and and alarming. And so we want to continue to um, uh, help raise uh, these issues. Uh, certainly, Archbishop Boris Gudziak, um, uh, Philadelphia, uh, has been very uh, helpful and good at you know kind of articulating, clarifying these realities. And uh, the U.S. bishops have been. Elevating his voice uh, in, in many different places and spaces to to allow that perspective to uh, to be heard. So the the prayers of the church have never been more needed. Yeah, I mean the the Ukrainian issue is sort of an odd one because religion is such an, so central to to some of the conflicts there. It seems though like it may be a little more difficult to find a straightforward like yeah. some of these other international religious freedom discussions are this very clear cut you have some dominant group who's oppressing in a very clear way um 
some ways it seems like with Ukraine you're talking about there there are conflicts that have to do with religion. It, it seems like it's a little more tangled question. It's there's a little bit more. That, that's at least my impression, but it's definitely this is not my area. But my impression is that maybe it's a little more complicated to talk about straightforward religious freedom issues like right. like you have in some other some of these other places. Well, right. I mean, to just to just you know uh, do a, a singular point of advocating for you know, religious freedom in in Ukraine. I mean, again, that's just one facet. It's it's a critical one. And that's a real problem right now. But again, yeah, like you said, it's in this, in this wider context of a very hot conflict, you know, and all those things have to be addressed simultaneously, really. It's a concern, but yeah, you're right. These have to be look at, looked at comprehensively. Mm-hmm. So a couple of other countries that they frequently appear on the news, we also often feature issues in these countries when we um, feature international issues during Religious Freedom Week. Mm-hmm. So in the past few years, I know both of these countries have, have been featured at least once mm-hmm. or twice. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I mean, anytime you're, you know, they pop up in your news feed regularly. Uh, first one, I'd say Nigeria, mm-hmm. um, probably the main one. Um, but then you, we've also had these issues in Nicaragua mm-hmm. um, that have been, they've, it seems like they've become more prominent in the news just recently, but we had been kind of tracking them for a while here at the conference. So could you give us an update? What is the situation like, especially for those who, who don't follow this stuff all the time? Yeah. Like what is going on in Nigeria? What's going on in Nicaragua? Yeah, sure. So yeah, Ni- Nigeria, we're, we're in touch with um, the, the Catholic Bishops Conference of Nigeria regularly, fundamentally to just you know, let them know that we're we're here. We, you know, the USCCB, the, the U.S. bishops, they want to walk in solidarity and be supportive in any way they can to lift up, you know, the prayers and and elevate the reality of the situation. Yeah, I mean, gosh, you know, uh, the, the the numbers continue to to build. I mean, what three thousand uh, people have uh, lost their lives due to religious uh, violence. Three thousand Christians, effectively, the first this the first half of 2021 um you know i think the math is comes about like 17 a day you know of, is what is is uh, occurring you know and we've done periodic statements etc around around that to, to try to elevate uh the profile of, of what's going on there um but going back to the previous point of how these are interrelated like on one hand yes we can continue to decry and will um issue of internationalist freedom but it's also amidst um a real you know political struggle and conflict that's going on you know increasingly uh the 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 herder um tribes um are encroaching in on on what has historically been farmlands uh as the land grows drier um you were you were watching those types of um um, squeezes uh to their economics to their production value chains as they have you know do a lot of um pastoral work uh, you know with uh, in that region and so that's that's creating these tensions these uh, these that are that are very tribal the the fulani uh, uh herders uh are historically islam and the, the the a lot of these farmer uh regions are represented by by christians they've lived uh very peaceably for for some time but again um 
as this conflict has grown with with elements like Boko Haram in, in the Northeast coming to more prominence, those uh, religious impulses are used to agitate uh, and 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 find a kind of fertile soil, if you will, uh, in, in an existing conflict. And so these things are are related. And uh, I think the the, the bishops of um, Nigeria have been uh, been expressing that to us and a- acknowledging that um, without excusing and and without diminishing. No, there there are real atrocities going on, and they you know the the Nigerians' voice gets higher and higher. Uh, in, in many respects, uh, calling on the Buhari government to enforce security and, and uh, you know, really deal with this in a, in a much more practical and, and forceful, forceful way, uh, while calling on the faithful to be ambassadors of, of, of peace and reconciliation. I'm, I'm waiting to have the podcast where we can say, oh, here's where, here's where peace is breaking out today. Here's where, you know, we're having great effect, but that's not where we're, where we are, I think, in this, in this time. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned, I think, uh, did you mention uh, uh, Nicaragua? Right? Yeah. So, um, you know, Nicaragua, um, uh, you know, I think for a long time, you know, as again, we're dialogue there as we've watched the Ortega regime get more aggressive. It's very easy for, I think, people outside in, in, in any diaspora group or in the West, we can look at what's going on and go, oh, this is horrible, this is terrible, you know. We need to sound the alarm, etc. I don't deny that. That that that's fine. But it, what is interesting, that I think not a lot of people will always have the perspective of, is um, the faithful who have to live in those countries, in those environments, um, will have a more nuanced perspective. But also, I mean, they're meanwhile they're beyond just trying to stand for righteousness and and against atrocities. They're trying to help their flock survive. You know, they're trying to eat. They're trying to get to work. They're trying to, you know, try to navigate and, and retain basic civil liberties. They want to retain their freedom of, of worship, let alone a full range of uh, religious expression. So, uh, and, you know, they have to deal with the regime at hand. And, um, you know, and they want to be able to do so constructively and, and positively uh, beyond just merely kind of decrying uh, the litany of things they're doing wrong, right? It's very easy to say what a regime is doing wrong. It's very, it, the, 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 the wisdom piece is, is to say, how do we go from here? How do we, how do we forge peace? How do we forge dialogue? And this is what I think Pope Francis has been very good at and focused on, you know, you know his recent encyclical Fratelli Tutti is about, you know, how do we engage with the other, with whom we have tremendous grievances and tremendous differences. And, you know, so anyway, that, that's another con- conversation. What has happened, though, is, again, as like so many of these other theaters and countries, it's gone from, from bad to worse. And you know, we've uh, watched you know, the, the exiling of, of Bishop Silvio uh, Jose uh, Baez, who now resides you know, in, in, in Florida in, in exile from Nicaragua. And then just in December, December 13th, Bishop uh, Ronaldo Alvarez, uh, who had been kidnapped by the regime and isolated under house arrest without due process and, and, and was so since August, you know, for you know, challenging the, the regime's human rights abuses and breakdown of democratic order in Nigeria. He, he, was, he was charged for undermining national integrity and propagation of false news. And that, you know, that's only a, a greater growing kind of escalation. And so, um, 
Yeah, so I think that the, the Nigerian bishops have become a little more vocal. I would uh, encourage your viewers to check out um, the U.S. Commission um, on International Religious Freedom, USERF. They do hearings uh, periodically, and it's about two months ago. I'm sorry I don't have the date uh, at, at my fingertips. Uh, but our, our policy advisor from Latin America, Christopher Lundquist, uh, testified before you, Surf, with, with the full-throated um, you know, blessing and, and, and encouragement um, you know, of the Nigerian church to, to Wait, go— Or Nicaraguan church. Uh, Nicaragua, yeah. excuse me. Uh, to, to go into great detail of what's going on in Nicaragua right now. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and uh, you know, so in that situation and with that country and those bishops, you know, were raising the profile uh, uh, higher. Mm-hmm. Can you back up though a little bit and say what is, what are the roots of the of the conflict and with the situation in Nicaragua? I mean, what you know, you kind of mentioned, you know, we hear sometimes in the news with with Nigeria, you know, that yeah. that yeah. you know, we hear about different incidents or events. Yeah. You well, know, you've kind of provided some of the background as you've got these it's it's part part of it is there's religion, but it's also bound up with with these other types of issues relating to the herders and the right, and the right. farmers. W- what's going on, though, in the case with Nicaragua? Sure, sure. I mean, in general terms, I mean, one sense that, you know, that's why I have you know, policy advisors who kind of focus on these different regions and so forth that go into these things in great specificity. But in general terms, the you know, Ortega regime has been in power for quite some time and has been um, uh, increasingly hostile uh, to, to the church. He thinks that a lot of um, the church's, you know, Focus on freedom uh, as a seen as a, as a threat to to his hold on on power in in that country, and uh, so they, they are they're they're seen as as a threat and uh, as they uh, um, Ortega and his, his his wife who's who's effectively their parent who's uh, very uh, outspoken and and, and hostile uh, to to the church. They're they're seeing the, the church uh, and its leaders as as a threat to the regime, and so um, you know they're they're going after them. I mean, in, in very you know kind of basic basic terms. So politics are never never terribly simple, but I mean that, that's kind of the general con. Yeah, if I can jump in here, um, so Lucas, you know this is a bit of perhaps more of a nuts and bolts question, um, and given the multi-factored realities that feed into religious persecution, depending on the situation and the country that you're in. There's probably no singular answer, and I realize that. But I'm, I'm curious as to what kind of pressure points, from a practical perspective, the church can engage in to kind of address these persecutions in country, you know, engaging Congress, engaging, mm-hmm. you know, you know, using the Vatican or the Vatican, you know, engaging the Vatican, yeah. you know, overseas kind of forums. How do, like, how do you actually, what do you do uh-huh. to make yeah, yeah. a difference? <laughs> right, right. So, um, you know, we say, what can the church do? I mean, right, that can mean everything <laughs> from the Pope to, uh, you know, kids sitting in, in the pew and everywhere in Easy between. Question. Right. Yeah. So, you know, one is, you know, uh, the kind of the diplomatic lane. I mean, the, the Holy See has a very unique posture in place in, in the world stage, and always has. And, you know, and as the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, as we're promised and has always proven true, will remain. And, and uh, they can play a very critical and helpful diplomatic channel. So um, they do, you know, and, and that is, is always operative and at work. I can't kind of go into all the details of any particular situation, but because uh, invariably, again, there's in diplomacy, there's uh, you know an array of, of sensitivities uh, that in terms of what might be advanced 
uh, are, are, are of concern politically or ecclesially as, as we're trying to deal with persecution of the local church or how prelates are uh, being treated or, or bishops being, being appointed, recognizing there could be even different points of view within the church. There can be different points of view even within a, a local bishops' conference. Uh, you know, so just kind of getting sort of a, a singular message uh, and and point together that can be rather difficult. I mean, look, you know, that's that's true anywhere. And so a lot of uh, what's happening there is a lot of relationship building and kind of nuancing and and building trust uh, within the church, but also then as Holy See, whether it's through a local nunciature and also with the local bishops of that country are building relationships with uh, leaders in those countries and and you know being able to try to find those those leverage points to try to get them to give on this or that um, where we come in is is to say you know what what um what can we do on a, a you know a diplomatic level if there's something if because often again the perspective of the local church is is much more nuanced than you know maybe just what a single advocacy group or two is indicating um and so again that's always our first thought and so if they have specific guidance of kind of what would be helpful you know, on a diplomatic level we will try to convey that where we can uh, but then secondarily also to your question beyond the diplomatic it is a wider advocacy channel and and lane where you know perhaps it's you know trying to elevate a certain resolution that's being passed in the Congress on uh, you know a particular situation um, that would be helpful uh, you know, to a situation to uh, help advocate on you know the, the general situation of a country of, uh, around persecution and so forth just to elevate the mind and, and consciousness of of you know those sitting in the pews or just people of, of goodwill and uh, yeah and then you know there, there can be with advocacy those general points of, of engagement. Uh, so for example, um, this past year we saw the reauthorization of the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom. Uh, that was born out of the International Religious Freedom Act. Um, the commission is has to be reauthorized every three years, you know, and so that's something like, you know, everyone can do today. Again, it, it's it, the, the scope and the principle is very helpful and healthy and, and um, and so on. So, and then thirdly, it's just is education. That's what we enjoy, like with the um, Religious uh, uh, Freedom Weeks uh, platform that uh, Aaron helps put together, where we can just feature, hey, here's here's what's going on in a particular country. Here's where this church was burned. Here's where what these people are saying. To just so people can get educated, and, and that can inform and elucidate uh, different advocacy strategies and so on. Yeah, I'm glad you asked that. You know, for us. And on domestic issues, it's a little more straightforward, I feel like. Like, it's like we have three branches of government. Uh-huh. So we sort of advocate in the way that's appropriate to that. We file comments on regulations. We advocate for certain kinds of legislation. Often with legislation, it's a, more of a matter of trying to keep bad things out yeah. of bills from, from our side of things. Or we file amicus briefs. Like, that's sort of it's. Right. And then our advocacy. Or, or in terms of educating Catholics to try get them involved in our advocacy, a lot of that is sort of trying to encourage them to be faithful citizens. Right. I, I think of international, the international stuff a lot of times is sort of like a maybe less about citizenship in some ways and more about like solidarity with our brothers and sisters. Right. Um, I mean, I would I, obviously we want religious freedom for people of all faiths, 
But I think the focus is still naturally going to be on fellow Christians who are who are persecuted, and Christians are the group who are the most persecuted. Yes. So mm -hmm. yeah, it makes sense. I, that that's but it seems like I, I, I'm yeah, glad that, that's I'd ask the question because I've often mm -hmm. wondered like what is it that you can actually do though about like if in in some country if the Christians are being persecuted. Right, right. What do you, you know, one what do you sense do? I, I, I validate and respect the question, right? Because on the domestic side, yes, we have a whole host of issues, but you have a whole apparatus by which those can be uh, addressed uh, from various laws, agencies, uh, you know, and, and implications have much more direct kind of tangible day-to-day -day realities, right, for Americans or those sitting in, in the pews. You're right. For those in, in far-off lands, it's, it is a little more remote. Um, and so we don't have a lot of those kind of bread and butter, like, uh, uh, you know, engaging with agencies and, and making sure, you know, regulations don't get slipped in, uh, at, at, you know, in the middle of the night and that type of, of, of thing and, and, and raising awareness. Like I said, a lot of what what we deal with is in in this in the sphere of, of diplomacy. There's mm -hmm. not necessarily, yeah. you know, most of uh, the countries where um, religious uh, freedom violations are occurring, like they they have laws on their books uh, uh, protecting religious freedom, right? So it's not like they they need this piece of legislation or this kind of instrumentation to validate religious freedom and to address persecution. They're theirs. But again, it's much more this. You know, the enmity of the human heart and sin, right? Uh, that are at the root of these these conflicts, and so you have much. It's much more of a, a diplomatic exchange. And again, for the church, it's about it is about um, uh, that ecclesial and and uh, interreligious dialogue mm -hmm. um, that can help build uh, islands of trust in a sea of seas of distrust to to to. Uh, to do something. Meanwhile, you're right that um, you know the the persecuted um, Chin minority in Myanmar, like you know, they, they don't have big advocacy groups or you know that are uh, supporting them or, or you know the Christians in, in North Africa, whatever. And so the, that's where I go back to you know the education piece is very critical um, beyond what we put out. But you know I, I love um, and, and will happily plug like Aid to the Church in Need. Great um, you know, Catholic organization that, that focuses on uh, Christian persecution around the world, and they d put out an annual report featuring where it's occurring, how it's occurring, etc. Education is that main piece. Um, you know, where we in the West can can capture that and continue to elevate those those stories and, and advocate for those folks as our policy leaders are having to deal with you know conflict persecution, et cetera, to say, you know, hey, as you do, are you aware of here's what's going on with, uh, you know, Christians in, in northern Nigeria, and how are you uh, addressing that or what have you? So mm -hmm. you mentioned earlier at the summit that you're going to have people with lots of different views on things and that, but in general, in such a polarized political context, most of us agree that people should not be persecuted for their religion and this and so there can be a kind of you know it seems like there there are opportunities to to work across different kinds of coalitions I think and so things like yeah that. i mean uh, again our effort uh with like going back to what i was talking about the international religious freedom charter is is to 
continue to garner broad-based support for these principles that, like you said, most people agree to, you know? Mm -hmm. And that ought to be uh, a very wide welcoming door to all different types of, you know, political stripes and persuasions, et cetera. Mm -hmm. uh, completely unfair question, uh, perhaps. <laughs> um, but I, I guess one of the things, I mean, you, it's, it's kind of overwhelming. I mean, the number of situations yeah. around the world you know, where religious persecution is taking place to a mm -hmm. wide array of different, you know, populations. I mean, how do you prioritize? I mean, or, or you know, that's yeah, not that the right word. Right. Right. I love it. Yeah. How, how do, you, do you like know the whole like, world? It's like, <laughs> what do you do to sort of be like, we have limited time, we have limited resources, we can't do everything. And so, but we're going to really focus on these specific issues or more generally, yeah. as you said, principles. You know, I always, uh, you know, if you ever get like, a, if you ever have like a private audience with the Pope, like, what would you ask him? Yeah, you know, right. like, yeah. I think that'd be what I'd ask uh, the Pope. You, <laughs> you know, you're uh, overseeing the flock around the world uh, with, you know, innumerable challenges, issues, problems, etc. How do you prioritize, right? And I, I hope this isn't a, a throwaway, and I'll, I'll get into some other answers as well. But I, I do, I do start with prayer. Um, I think that is critical for for all of us. I mean, we all have an array of responsibilities, opportunities, uh, you know, in our work, in our homes, and so forth, right? And uh, we need to wake up in the morning. Go, what am I supposed to focus on? Now, granted, yes, we we hopefully that's not a brand new question every single morning. Within that scope, within the scope of married life and within the scope of, you know, what I've been given charge over, what you both have given charge over, you know, there's still quite a, a wide swath of uh, liberality of what you can, you, you could, you could focus on. I like to, there's a reason I work for the church and not for, uh, you know, just an NGO or whatever, which is, is a lot of my background, um, because we do have our Lord Christ. We do have the Holy Spirit guiding the church, and, and that is central to who um, the church is. And so I, I don't disparage that or just kind of make that a prefatory kind of um, reality. That said, Todd, the way I like to answer that this question um, is in two ways. One, I mean, you know, again, sometimes just events of the day command our attention, good, bad, or indifferent. And, you know, so sometimes it just it solicits and demands a response. I mean, the, your, the war in Ukraine, heaven's sakes, was, is kind of chief among them. Um, or, you know, other crises that kind of are demanding our attention that if we, you know, we were absent altogether would probably not be good. But beyond that, I kind of, in terms of kind of looking at the world, I, I look at it as a, uh, I'll give you a, a, an arithmetic equation by which uh, we kind of get at this question. We look at the, um, the intensity of a particular issue or conflict in a country uh, multiplied by the, the size and, and the presence of the Catholic Church in that country. We usually equal, we'll, we'll give you a uh, you know, the, the answer by which we will give it our, our attention, you know. So, per, you know, like Latin America, like, we're, you know, we're dealing with um, a host of issues there just by virtue of their proximity and the, the, the footprint, heaven's sakes, of the Catholic Church there. Uh, you know, looking at, you know, kind of trade issues and um, climate impact issues and, um, and certainly persecution issues, you know, humanitarian situations, peace negotiations in ways that, you know, we, we just don't have the full capacity to do, right, in, um, you know, far-flung places in Central Asia or something. 
but again, we we don't diminish those either. So I don't know sure. if that no, kind of yeah. gets at that a little makes bit. Makes a lot of sense. <laughs> well, I suspect relations relationships play a big part in it too. I mean, if you you have established relationships with different bishops' conferences, but you mm-hmm. may not have quite the same tight relationship with other bishops' conferences. Because mm-hmm. you've talked so much about it, yeah. sounds like over the course of this conversation that yeah, just a lot of the work involves establishing and developing relationships. Right. So, well, and and yeah, it, it is that, you know, uh, again, compounded by, again, uh, the measure whereby a local bishop conference is kind of organized and yeah. focused and so on. So a perfect example, uh, you know, would be like um, working with the bishop's conference. Uh, like we look at uh, Africa and like like we, we couldn't engage in all the peace and justice issues of Africa equally, right? Um, so how do we kind of pick and choose? Well, you know, we have a very high uh, and close relationship with the uh, with uh, with Cinco, which is the Bishops' Conference of Democratic Republic of Congo. Why? Because of the presence of the church there, but also that uh, they're a very leading voice and they're they're very organized and have a measure of focus of kind of what's important, what they're trying to drive at, and so on. So you know, they've been very focused on trying to ensure. Uh, free and fair elections in a in a region that has been very fraught and 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 not known for free and fair elections, and, you know, and they can kind of push some of their weight uh, around that. So uh, they can readily come to us without a lot of deliberation, as such, to say, you know, hey, if you you know, this, here's how you can walk with us in solidarity, and if there's ways you could, um, you know, help garner support for what we're trying to do, that uh, does tie back into the promotion of international religious freedom and and re- reduction of conflict and promotion of peace in our country, you know, that would be great and, and helpful. So, uh, yes, we got to build those relationships and, um, and yes, that, that trust. Um, but it's, it's always, it's just a reality. The, the more where the church is established and, and kind of has a, you know, a focus of kind of mission mandate, you know, we're just going to have more lanes to, to run in. I mean, I'm glad this thing about relationships and solidarity kind of came up because it just it occurs to me especially having taught here from migration refugee services both of y'all your offices will sometimes bring priests or bishops uh from Mm -hmm. other from other countries will be here in the building to like have meetings and things like that and then we'll celebrate mass at the at the daily mass at noon and that's just kind of an experience i realized that it's easy to take for granted um, working here, you know, when I go to daily mass at noon and, and it's, you know, a, a bishop from another country that I had no idea we were going to have a guest celebrant, but it's such, it's a, that's a neat experience to get yeah. to have to experience yeah. and be reminded right. that it's a, a global, that the church is a global, right. um, body. Right. And, you know, anything we, we, you know, we do in this area of education, advocacy, et cetera, uh, diplomacy is like you said, it's always predicated on, on relationships. And so we, um, you know, have this this mandate um, that I think is, is you know part and parcel with how bishops' conferences were, were designed and, and constituted to you know, allow for those solidarity exchanges. And mm-hmm. so, you know, we, we will uh, you know, our committee bishops will invite bishops from other countries to to Washington, and conversely, the um, our, our bishops will even be invited to other countries uh, to you know get a real up close personal experience of. Here's what life is like as a believer in this area that, you know, right, is often beset by uh, hunger or conflict, um, what have you. Um, and that's how you do forge these ways of, of walking together. And, and um, 
um, the Holy Spirit does uh, illumine our path, I think, often. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that we're about out of time, and I, I believe you had uh, you may have a meeting that you have to run I off do, to. But do. Um, <laughs> can, do you want to close us yeah. out, though, very quickly, just something that gives you hope? You know, we've, so much of the focus is on conflict. Anything that gives you hmm. hope in doing this work? The, the scriptures tell us we have treasures in earthen vessels that lie within. And the gospel is the hope of the world. And I am increasingly convinced as I travel the world and see these these situations. Um, yes, we need diplomatic corps. Yes, we need, you know, state actors, etc. Of course. But at the end of the day, we're always at the seedbed of these issues is the enmity in the human heart. And the church proposes Christ as our our mediator, our redemptor for humanity that addresses that problem. And it's only therein, I think, where we see transformation and we can, you know, we can see progress towards reestablishing uh, uh, trust. And that, that, that's the gift that the church has to, has to bring. And so we're not merely just looking to an election cycle or, uh, you know, the next treaty as such, as is as important as those things are and can be signposts to, to progress and so forth. Um, our endpoint is much further. And so our hope goes far beyond the grim headline of the day. Mm-hmm. And um, we as, as Christians need to wake up and remind ourselves of, of that hope. And um, that is very real. Um, the Catechism calls prayer a, a weapon of hope. Um, that's not a throwaway. That I think that's it. And I don't, you know, I don't mean to be elusive or just pious about the answer. That is it. And uh, that is where progress um, will be made. Uh, is being made again. Progress, right? In towards you know, peace and justice here on earth, but you know, ultimately for an endpoint that exceeds the horizon, which most of us uh, are overly focused on, I'm afraid um, that sometimes skews uh, the wider perspective by which we have to walk in. Well, yeah, I mean, thank you so much for offering that. Uh, Thank you for sharing a bit about what y'all are doing down on the second floor. It's been a good Mm -hmm. conversation. We've been talking with Lucas Koch about some of the international religious freedom issues that the USCCB is working on. Uh, We also had Todd Scribner filling in. It's a nice pinch hitter today. Um, Always a pleasure. Coming in for Migration and Refugee Services. Uh, You're back up here on the fifth floor, so that's your kind of neighbor. Yeah, thanks for inviting me up here. I don't get up to the fifth floor that often. (laughs) The mythical fifth floor. It's great. Yeah, I put on my my coat jacket and everything. It's really good. Well, it's been good talking to you all, so thank you very much. Aaron Todd, appreciate you. Thanks so much. I'm Aaron Weldon. Thank you for joining us for the First Freedom Podcast. Thank you.